0: Welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. I'm Amanda Scott, your host at this place on the web where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution. My guest this week is an energy engineer, an entrepreneur, a business leader. He has been an advisor to several governments and ministers of state, and he's the author of the book Energy Revolution, Your Guide to Repowering the Energy System. Howard Johns, as you'll hear, started off climbing up trees in the way of bulldozers, trying to be part of the solution. And then he realised that instead of saying no, he needed to find ways to say yes, and he has become one of the world's foremost experts in how we change our power from the way that it is to the way that it needs to be. And power, in all its senses, is at the heart of the changes that we need to make. So, people of the podcast, please do welcome Howard Johns. So, Howard Johns, welcome to the Accidental Gods podcast. Thank you for joining us on this sunny afternoon. How are things down in the southeast, wherever it is you live? I can't remember. Is it Hastings?
1: I'm in Sussex, um, so just outside Lewis afternoon. Thank you very, very much for having me on, on this podcast. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a bit of sun today here as well, which is a real relief, isn't it, after all this crazy rain that we've been having?
0: Yeah, but we needed the rain. Speaking as a farmer, we were getting really worried that we yeah. weren't going to see any. So it was rather too much, but that's the world that we're heading into, is too much sun followed by too much rain and we need to build the soil up to become a sponge and then we'll be be a bit better. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so you are many things. You're the author of the energy revolution. You set up Southern Solar, you set up Ovesco. You used to be a climate activist. You are, as far as I can tell, still a climate activist, but instead of climbing up trees, you're creating things. You're saying yes, instead of saying no. Can you situate us a little bit give us a sense of how the howard johns of today grew out of the howard johns that you used to be
1: yeah sure i guess well i mean my climate awakening was quite early compared to most um in that i studied energy and environmental engineering um, age 18 and one of the first was, you had a lo- lovely professor who was lecturing us about climate change at that stage so that was the early 90s and i was completely blown away by it and i was totally captivated from that age on and so my whole adult life really has been an exploration of how we can have impact in in in, in terms of our you know, reduction of the of, of the impact of humanity on on the planet i guess at first you know i what comes when you have these realizations is you know sort of rage and powerlessness and what came pretty quickly for me with activism so my first my first act of defiance was ethical shoplifting uh, mahogany from Harrods, wow. which was which was great fun. Uh, we took it to the local police station and reported it as stolen from the indigenous peoples of Brazil. There was an amazing woman, Angie Zelta who'd re- researched um, the supply chain of Harrods and found out that there was all this illegal mahogany in there. Basically, so uh, the police were rather amused when we turned up with all this uh, stolen goods from Harrods. But it, it, it was a, a, an amazing thing. Uh, anyone who's put their body on the line um, in defence of something they believe in will know that it's an amazingly powerful and and alchemic thing to do as an individual. You know, when you're faced with this immense problem, to just say, I lie down in front of this or I put myself in front of it. So for me, that was a very important step. And I was evicted from a tree on an open cast mine site probably like three or four years on from that first first, um, uh, foray into activism. And again, you know, it was a really powerful experience for me that um, I was nearly dropped out of the tree and I was on the ground before, you know, as the tree hit the ground, I was lowered to the ground, sort of thing. Yeah. But I guess what I realized with that was that, you know, when you're in opposition, it's very hard to make progress, you know, and and um, I realized that, you know, yes, we we had an amazing time. The road protests and that whole movement was incredible. It was, it was an amazing experience, people from all walks of life, and it felt like there was this united you know force yes moving through us basically a bit like what's happened with Extinction Rebellion recently you know where people just said right enough we're going to do something and that was so brilliant but what i was left with was that actually the majority of people just thought i was mad for that whole period they just thought i was mad you know from when i started ranting about climate change we we're just like you're crazy um, and and probably the alienation mm. between me and the average person was pretty high at that point when i'm like there long-haired living in a tree people just most people just thought I was completely unhinged, and actually, then I realised, you know, that if this is a problem that everyone is in, is part of. We're all part of this story, yes. and so unless we can build things that people feel like they can be part of, that are solutions, we're never going to change it. You know, if we're in opposition with what's normal, then you're just going to create a divide. You know, and, and so from from the sort of closure of that open cast mine site, or rather the opening of it, um, we, we we lost the battle on that one, and they they built the mine um, and uh, cut down the last old, old growth oaks in that valley in South Wales, right. uh, which was the you know the sort of seed bank for for that community really. But yeah. Coming out of that, you know, I just realized that we have to build solutions and we have to build things that people can say yes to. So I had uh, various phrases. I actually retrained as a plumber and electrician so that I could work out how to build solar systems. And in 99, I tried to build my first, um, you know, I was doing practical jobs, you know, retrofitting people's homes. But I tried to build my first community energy company in 99 in Brighton. And again, people just thought I was completely mad and I ended up, it was a complete disaster. And, you know, I fell out with the people I was doing it with and, you know, it all went completely wrong. Um, I guess in two thousand and two, then I had a very clear sense that I could do something around solar, and had, so then set up my first successful business, which was Southern Solar, which I grew from me. I doubled it every year for ten years, um, so sort of exponential growth wow. up to a team of one hundred and twenty people, you know, wow. doing hundreds of installations every month, um, all across the country, and that was an amazingly positive and powerful journey. Sadly, ended with. Um, taking the government to the high court three times and I found myself in the activist seat again oh, wow. uh, I did six weeks straight where I was on you know at least one um, broadcast media outlet a day if not five um, and I was on the front of the FT and the independent on Sunday and you name it and I ended up then you know being absolutely in loggerheads with the minister after being a an advisor to the previous minister then i was suddenly the protester with the, the 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 conservative minister at the time and and was ritually marched out of Whitehall and told them to come back Whoa. and sadly then had to close southern solar and um you know it was a really very challenging and painful period
0: was this then uh, the transition from the last labor government to the tory government when they came into power and just shut down Yes.
1: Yeah. Exactly that. And was this? Yeah. Exactly
0: that. Do you know why they did that? Because, as far as I understand it, it wasn't just you. There were eighteen thousand jobs lost overnight. And for all that the Tories have a lot going for them or not going for them, crushing jobs doesn't always seem to be part of their remit. Why did they do that? Because you were clearly.
1: Well. well it's it's a very interesting question and um there's probably not a clear answer the clear answer that the narrative from their side was this is going to cost the, the country billions of pounds in
0: feed-in tariffs
1: yeah so the backstory is that quite a, a while before we'd had a chatham house meeting and suggested that perhaps they needed to change the, the the support structure slightly to make it less generous and so to take a bit of heat out of the market and um, sadly, that hadn't been acted upon, and and um, that
0: was in the Blair era, or in the Labour
1: era. No, that that was that was with the Conservatives, actually. Yeah, so the Conservatives just inherited a system which they didn't run properly, really. I, I mean, the gut feeling was that, sadly, the minister who was responsible really loved it and was on our side, um, but the surrounding team hung them out to dry and basically just try to shut the scheme overnight. And that's why we ended up in a massive battle. And as it was, they didn't shut it overnight. They reduced it to a sensible level, but unfortunately what that did was shut down the industry and we lost 5,000 companies in about six months. So it was brutal. In, in the background, um, they're, they're in that sort of 10-year period, there'd been lots of other great stuff going on. I mean, so um, the transition movement for me was a you know brilliant thing that kicked off. So Lewis, my local town, was the second transition town. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I found myself in a group of people saying, well, why don't we just set up a company that we could own that would have a, you know... A I tried, out. I tried. <laughs> I've arrived, I've arrived. And I was just... 10 years too early, you know, and and here I am now and people are saying, let's do this. And I'm like, okay, well, I actually know yeah, how I've to do that. I've got a blueprint, that. here we go. And here's the plan. So we just got on with it. I, I wrote the business plan and managed to set it up. We first started managing a grant scheme for the local council and then I saw the opportunity to build a build the first community-owned sort of solar rig. It was all, all happening at the same time. So we had we, we knew the feed-in tariff was going to be cut. So it, at, when we launched the Vesco as a thing in the town hall, and we stood up and said, this is what we're trying to do. We had we had three weeks to raise £330,000 and build a project. Okay, okay. Um, and we did it. So um, <laughs> that was great fun. Um, it was a little bit hair-raising in moments, but it felt to me just a really important matter of principle just to demonstrate that a community could come together to take tangible action, and that wasn't just linked to um, whether you could afford to do it yourself on your yeah. home because you know, part of what's powerful about community energy and and, and uh, you know engaging people in these stories is you know again it's that you know can you see yourself in it mm. yes because essentially people are only going to make a change if they can see their part of the story and so partly that was what was so important for me with a vesco was to demonstrate that model yeah. and then you know uh, Uh, And then see it spread. And uh, I remember one of my, I guess one of my peak moments from that story was I was in Canada. I was talking at a conference there on sort of European solar market. And I saw, oh, there's a stream on community energy. Brilliant. How exciting. I'm going to go and find out what's going on. And I sat down in the auditorium to listen. And there were some great stories there. But the thing that knocked me off my chair was that the first speaker stood up and said, oh, you know, our community energy company, well, we we heard about this story in England. And then she held up the Avesco share offer and we decided just to do it we thought it was such a good idea and i was just like wow they hadn't even contacted us right do you know what i mean we didn't know know about them but they've gone, just and done gone off and wow. done it you know and again that's that was so my intention is to create something that captured the imagination that people go what well, we well, could do that you know and why don't we just do it you know i mean i i have loved the that journey but i guess i feel like the challenge with community energy is that it's often community-led, which means that it's not resourced properly, and we don't achieve scale um, because of it. You know, which you know, we have an infrastructure problem. You know, basically, we have infrastructure that requires us to pollute the planet and create you know, masses of carbon emissions for us to just be okay—heating you know, our homes, driving our cars, growing our food, all that sort of stuff—and particularly our homes and our workplaces. Now. The only solution is to fix the infrastructure, you know, and, and to do that is going to cost trillions. Um, it's going to involve every home in the country and, you know, all over the world. There's 27 million homes in, in the UK. There's only 1 million solar systems on homes right now in Whoa. the UK. Okay. So if you think about every time you stick a, you know a few kilowatts of solar electric on someone's roof, basically you rob – the existing infrastructure of a client oh. effectively they become a they become a drain on on the utilities rather than a rather than a profit center, and so the long winded answer to why that happened is that really okay um, the, the utilities in fact I, when I wrote the book I interviewed lots of different politicians about both in in Germany UK in different parts of the world a lovely woman Laura Sandys who um, works in energy now whose father was the guy behind the Clean Air Act, and he was very supportive of the renewables industry, who was an advisor to, to the ministers and of stuff. She said to me, well, you know, Howard, utilities know their business model is over. They know they've got 10 years at best, but they're playing for 20. And the way you play for 20 is you control the political process. You know, And that, that is the truth of what was going on.
0: So this is, we're sailing towards the edge of the cliff, and we know we're going to fall off the edge of the cliff but we're going to slow the ship down a little bit so that we can carry on partying but that's going to make the fall off the edge of the cliff more inevitable
1: basically yeah well and again you know this is the whole stranded assets thing you know if you think about the business models of the utilities their business model is i own this big lump of power generation now i've invested x 100 mm. million into building it now the business model is you guys at the end of the pipe at the end of the wire you are going to pay for this for the next 25 years so if you suddenly start deserting me, I can't pay my investors back. You know, I can't provide the returns to shareholders. That's pension funds. That's, yeah. you know, th- this is this is the problem. This is why there's inertia in some ways.
0: So what do we do about that? I, I, let's take a little segue away from power, which is your thing. But whatever we do, whatever we talk about in this podcast, it comes back to the current economic system is maintaining the status quo, yep. is perpetuating the catastrophe, is making sure that we're not changing fast enough. Have you had thoughts, I and mean, you must you have clearly thought very deeply mm. about all of this, about how we could change the economic system? Because it may cost trillions to change the infrastructure, but it's not like the money is being burned in a field. It's going to people who then pay tax. You know, It circulates in the economy. Unless it's leaking out into you know, somebody's offshore account in the Panamas, it comes back to the government. It's not going away.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think to be honest, in some ways you have, I mean, yes, basically we have, we have all, in my opinion, we have all the resources we need in terms of money. It's in the wrong place. We have the technology we need already there. It just needs deploying. What's lacking in part is the collective social imagination to put structures in place that enable this transformation you know, it, yes, it is stuff I'm working on. I still, I, you know, I wouldn't say I have the answer. I feel like I'm getting closer to having a piece of the puzzle moving forwards. But, you know, I think there's some really exciting things happening in our culture at the moment in that it's apparent that, you know, things are breaking down, mm. not just climate, but actually what we accept is is breaking down. What we think is okay has changed. Uh, what we think is possible has changed. Um but also people's sense of place, you know, following this crazy two years where we've been told by nature to sit in our bedrooms and think about our behavior, people have been doing that, you know, and actually they've realized that there's more, you know, there's, there's other things that really matter, you know, and when, when, when suddenly seeing your nearest and dearest is a great day, the frame has changed, you know? So I think we're in this really exciting place. I mean, I, I've been really heartened particularly um by the by the student climate movement uh, globally and i think for me that you know if we can somehow you know basically we need a climate movement that's a solutions mm. movement mm. you know so we start you know like me you start with the anger you put your body on you know you lie on the road to stop the traffic yeah. when you get up from the road and 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 you try and think about okay what do i do next i can't lie on the road every day you know, what we need to do is build a bunch of templates of businesses that basically roll out solutions at scale. Now, that's energy, that's regenerative farming, relocalization of food supplies, that's rewilding, you know, that's replanting forests, that's you know, providing healthcare to people that don't have it around the world. You know, it's core stuff. Um, I was talking to this amazing woman recently who's who is super prize-winning. Uh, But basically she saw the refugee crisis happening and she just said, just something in my core, just said, I've just got to go. There, She flew to Turkey just on her own back. She had no idea where she was going. She ended up setting up refugee camps. Now I had a conversation with her about, okay, there's going to be a lot of climate refugees. Now what we should be doing is turning those refugee camps into the pinnacle of human achievement so that people want to be there. You know, we have the technology you know we know how to grow food locally in an organic sustainable way. We know how to generate power where we are we We could make those places really comfortable and inspire people around the world with the fact that actually there is a much better way to live and you know what the people who are most vulnerable have started to do it. yes, you know, and I think I think you know that's the sort of depth that I'm coming from. you know I feel like you know we need to build structures that fix problems here. That are that, that that basically have reciprocity built into them.
0: Say more about that.
1: So I don't want to buy anything that doesn't plant a tree, that doesn't fund rural electrification, that doesn't you know do something good somewhere else. Because I think part of why our society has gone wrong and. You know, I've done a lot of work over the years um, with shamanic practices and that sort of stuff. And when you've worked with some indigenous folks, what you see Mm. is that they start with gratitude and they end with gratitude. And they they start with giving. And they are so generous, actually, with their giving. Um, And I feel really honoured to have had that opportunity. But I feel like there's a simple switch we could make in our society. Mm. And that is if we embedded some giveaway into every transaction that we made, I think the energetic of the planet will change. And I think we will solve the issues very quickly, actually. Because I think, you know, we've got this infrastructure problem. Do you know what? It's an infrastructure problem that will create the biggest army of workers that's ever been seen. And they won't just be an army of workers building crap that people don't want, you know, pre-landfill construction. They won't be an army of workers throwing stuff away. They'll be an army of workers with a purpose. And the purpose will be you know, writing this, this pathway for humanity, you know, and for me, that's a really hopeful, hopeful thought, you know, it's funny because I've been doing these talks to students um, recently because what I witness is that, you know, people are getting out on the streets and actually they're in despair. Yes, And this, you know, being out on the streets is, oh, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the pinnacle of it for them because they, they feel powerful in that moment, but out of that, Moment of anger, a moment of empowerment, a moment of collective action. They're in despair; they don't know what to do. And so, I've been doing these talks to students called "From Extinction to Restoration." And so, yeah, I talk through the dark stats of the moment and the Greenland ice shelf and the you know freak weather patterns and everything else that's going on that's so apparent, even more apparent this year. Then I talk to them about the opportunity. So, all of the structures that we've built have to change. know there is no two ways about they're going to change and they're already changing you know it's it's a question of where do they want to you know where do they want to put their energy you know where do they see themselves in that story what's the the thing that ignites them yeah you know do they want to get involved with replanting the amazon rainforest do they want to get involved you know what i mean there's so many areas you could work on and the question is how we make that viable for people to do that you know so I mean, there's some brilliant examples out there. Um, I, I supported a lovely woman, Claire, who's who runs Tree Sisters. Um, she's out planting, she, well, I, I did some wow. events with her a while back. I think she was about two and a half million trees, and she's now at 20 million trees planted. Her models all around female empowerment, which of course is it's one of the key things for climate solutions, is how we empower women. You know, it, That's going to be one of the biggest things we can do. So female empowerment, and planting trees are like the top, in, in the top three, I believe, you know, of project drawdowns, recommendations as to what we should all do. So, you know, it's, it's great. But there's another one like Health in Harmony. There's a charity um, that have been working in mm-hmm. Sumatra. You know, the, all those horrendous pictures you, or films you see of orangutans being pulled out of trees. So that the community there. Um, and, and they spent 10 years there and they've now they basically provided healthcare for the people there in exchange for their cha- chainsaws um, so they stopped cutting down the forest and then they trained them in organic agriculture and they 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 basically started then pay them to replant the forest they've planted thousands of hectares already you know so that's the sort of model we need to we need to build you know that's working with local people that's respecting you know indigenous knowledge particularly calling forward indigenous knowledge and using the repair of our culture and our infrastructure to fund that, basically. And that's you know, that's what I'm hoping we can do collectively uh, moving forwards.
0: So there are so many ways we could go with this. I can feel an entire series of podcasts. I, I'm really interested in... It seems to me there's a dichotomy. Everything that you've described at the moment is functioning within the current economic system. Mm-hmm. So Tree Sisters... Um, the refugee camps, the reforesting in Sumatra, presumably are all being funded somehow within what is essentially an extractive model. Yeah. And we have a government that, that very recently uh, put out some kind of item in the Telegraph that the way to solve climate change is for people to not rinse their plates before they put them in the dishwasher. There is, there is a degree of disconnect somewhere Massively. <laughs> between those who get it and those who just absolutely don't. And part of the problem we have is that the ones who really don't are still holding most of the reins of power. And while we are replanting, people are replanting the Sumatran rainforest, other people are still busy bulldozing it because bare land is worth more than trees.
1: Well, And because... And because- Wood pulp is making cheap clothes, viscose. Uh,
0: yeah, or, or, or even being shipped to the UK to go into our non-coal energy production. So, you know, there, there are cycles within cycles. And so how do we... And, and you said we want to start with moving towards the Indigenous concept of giving and gratitude and switch everyone to a system where we give away with every transaction. Mm. And I'm remembering tramping around the streets of the West Midlands ahead of the 2019 general election, which was one of the most grounding experiences, as well as deeply dispiriting of my life. (laughs) Of how do we connect with people for whom the end of lockdown meant they were able to get on a plane to Spain again? Or, Or simply people for whom they're holding down three separate jobs because... That's the only way to pay the rent because we have no rent controls. How are we going to reach the people who aren't the ones who are currently throwing themselves out onto the streets and risking ten years in prison because they are so desperate?
1: That's a really good question. I think you have to go and listen. You have to go and talk to them. You know, you have to go and actually. I mean, we need to provide solutions to the, to the problems that they're facing. You know, on some level, mm. on some deep level. You know, and, I mean, I guess you know when I look at that and I think of you know, why are they. In poverty, in part because they're living in a house that's really poor quality, they're spending too much on their energy. They don't have decent nutrition in their lives. You know, these are things that we could so solve. Yes, and actually, they could be a win-win uh, for for many aspects. I guess you know, you, you started talking about the economic system, and on the one hand, yes, we need to shift to a circular economy. One that's not extractive? Yes, definitely. Um, I guess my concern with talk of massive transformation of our economic system is, you know, our economic system and our political system are very much coloured by corporates that we all fuel, mm. actually. And and you know, seeking massive transformation in those, or rather postponing action whilst we try and get massive change those, isn't going to happen we're going to be dead. yes exactly you know yeah. we know we're halfway to the point where the atmosphere is going to dissipate and water will leave this planet you know three degrees i think is where you get to that point isn't it where
0: i didn't know that can you talk us through that
1: as the you know the runaways start to happen you know the stuff i mean i studied all this stuff back in the early 90s it's like well, if we get to this point then the permafrost is going to melt and that's going to release loads of methane which is know. happening so yes it's happening so the inertia Is something that people don't really understand. The inertia of the climate change we've unleashed is something we don't understand. The planet is going to keep warming. If we stop all emissions tomorrow, the planet will keep warming for, you know, and we planted 50, you know, if we planted a trillion trees, the planet's still going to keep warming for 50 years at least, if not a few hundred years. You know, if we carry on as we are, we'll be racing to four and a half degrees before we know it. And at that point, um, as I understand it, Basically, the atmosphere will dissipate because plants create the atmosphere. So, if we start getting massive desertification across the planet, then the atmosphere will go, and following that will be water. Right? You know, and you end up with a desert planet, basically. Okay. A dead rock. Okay. You know, so that is the sort of worst case scenario, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> and and again, when you look at when you look at you know the sort of regional impacts. Um, you know, there's this concept that if you, um, you know, li- like, human body, you know, if you get more than 30, 30, 30% burns, you're likely to die. Yeah. Um, now if we scorch enough of the planet, then basically it's likely that the ecosystem will go into sort of self-destruct mode because of those re- reinforcing feedback loops.
0: Right.
1: So things like the Amazon rainforest, you know, if you deplete a certain proportion of that then it will start to basically be unviable because it creates the rain. You know the Amazon rainforest, the water that comes out of the Amazon, it travels like 150 miles out into the ocean and the rain that's created by the trees there travels around the world.
0: Wow.
1: You know, so the moment you start having you know that tipping point in the Amazon, then you shut down, the water retreats from the land basically. The trees keep the water on the land. Right. You know, they, they create that freshwater cycle for us. You know, so it's very simple mm. it's yeah. a set of physical properties that we're working with here. You know, we either replant the forests or it's going to go the wrong way. We ha- we just have to do it. It's simple as that.
0: Why why do the people in charge not get this? Because you obviously worked with a minister who did. Mm. The people currently in charge are not light years away. They're in the same party. And yet one has to assume they just don't get this, because otherwise they would be acting in ways that they're not.
1: I, th- I think that um, again, it's about what's palatable. Right. You know, when you're faced with a when you're faced with an immediate threat, we know now that you could just print money and just do what the hell you like to try and com- combat that threat. Yep. But what is not happening with climate is that the general population. Yes, they are worried about climate change, but they do not see this as an immediate threat to their lives.
0: Yeah. Okay. We're back to the frog in in the pot, even though that's not actually true, but it's a useful metaphor. Exactly. Okay.
1: You know, so so it's that stuff basically, and, and because politics is so short term, mm. you know, if if you again, if you reference back to indigenous cultures, you would have had the strutting leader, but behind them you'd have had the elders, the council of elders, the grandmothers, generally grandmothers who would have appointed that chief and who would have had who would have, wouldn't have wanted to intervene but if they did intervene he would have done what they recommended you know and that's what's missing again you know someone said that the like the american political system was based on the um, Anishabe uh, teachings basically and their law a great law of peace and they missed you know the electoral colleges the bits where you select the candidates was actually meant to be the Council of Elders, and they, you know, they basically got that all wrong. <laughs> didn't. They just? so not only did they have slavery in there at the start, which was, you know, obviously completely wrong. They had this missing piece.
0: So they took the bits that suited them, and they ignored the bits that they didn't want. Exactly, exactly.
1: But anyway, I'm no expert on that stuff. But you know, again, politics without wisdom is always going to be short term. You know, so I think my my gut feeling is the only. There is going to be an emergence of a new way, I think. And I think it it will be, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on around self organizing structures globally. Mm. Um, So the DAO concept, I'm involved with one of those, which is a regenerative currency idea, which is called Seeds, which is worth checking out. Um, And and that's, you know, basically saying, well, look, you know, central banks just print money. Why can't we (laughs) just create? value and use it for regeneration
0: yes because the day the guys with all the dollars stop when dollars stop being powerful then they stop having any power you know it's jeff bezos becomes an ordinary guy if if dollars are of no value
1: suddenly they're collective spells aren't they and they are very much an abstract construct that we have created yeah in part that creates misery yeah. It creates planetary disgust, dis- just dis- destruction. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. we've created this spell that's become all powerful. It doesn't exist. You may have a few notes in your pocket, but it it tangibly doesn't exist. It doesn't have any root in value in terms of like the natural world. Yeah. But we all believe in it, yeah, and we allow it to inflict in- intense pain on most of the world. You know, it's it's a dream we've come up with. We can change dreams. Yes. But the question is, who's going to lead that? And I guess my sense is that the leadership is going to come from people. It's going to come from grassroots movements. It's going to come from, um, you know, us tweaking the current system. Because I don't think we've got time to sort of totally rebuild a new one. I think we can start that. We can build these lifeboat communities and, you know, ideas like that. But I think what we've got to do is, okay, how do we put some good back into capitalism first and foremost You know, because capitalism, it is a very powerful construct. You know, it's like, okay, if we want to retrofit 27 million homes, actually, if we can get the right framework there, then capitalism could be a brilliant way to drive that.
0: Okay, yes.
1: The question is, you know, do we do it? You know, what harm do we cause in doing it? Uh, what What are the externalities that might be caused by doing that?
0: Because often they're not obvious at the time. You only realise what the externalities were after the impact has happened.
1: Yeah, no, completely, completely. So,
0: but even so, we have to try. We,
1: we've got to give it a go.
0: And Do you think... We, my, we talked about this a lot when I was at Schumacher doing the Masters in Economics, that how to get the soft landing. Mm. Because what you're trying to do effectively is change a Boeing 747 into a helicopter in midair. And that, generally speaking, is not a good idea. That's... But how do you get the soft landing that isn't Uh, a crash out of midair. Mm -hmm. And all of the avenues we went down as thought ideas, we'd get to the point where if this succeeds, the people with power are going to try to shut us down. We have to get them on board somehow. And you said quite near the beginning when you were talking about sitting up trees and you had a sense of tribe with your fellow Mm -hmm. tree Mm sitters, but total alienation from everybody else, and that what we need to do is create a system that brings everybody on board. And quite clearly that's true, because if we end up with an us and them, whatever the us is and however much we think it's right, we lose so much human creativity in the battle between the us and the them that we're going to head off the cliff. So have you any sense of seeds? You seem to be involved in so many inspiring things, of seeds that will bring the existing structure along with us rather than creating competition. Does that make sense as a question?
1: Yeah, no, totally. Well, I mean, the classic one here is, yeah, so we have this infrastructure problem. I guess to me, I think what we have to do is build structures. I mean, we need it. So like, I love activism. I, you know, it's such an important thing in our community, you know, because it creates the edge. It creates um, space for a different conversation to happen. And that is so important, you know. And, and so, you know, blessings and all the people who've put their, their lives on the line over the years and quite literally across the Amazon, you know, we know every week there's another environmental activist killed around the world. You know, it's um, a massive gratitude from me to everyone who's ever gone out on a march with a banner even, you know what I mean? It's, it's so important, but essentially the movement we need to build now cannot be one that alienates people. It needs to be an inclusive movement and it needs to be an inclusive movement based on practical solutions that impact people's everyday lives you know and and you know in in some attempt my sort of community energy work was you know in part to try and have a go at that now again you know i'm very proud of what we've achieved but i for me it just it wasn't big enough you know and we need to bring millions of people together around the world in a way that's transparent that we can have very clearly negotiated contracts of trust between the different parties, the different actors. Because yeah, essentially, climate is all of our problem. Now, those of us that animate about it are very you know, upset about it and all that sort of stuff and worried about our children. People in the middle maybe aren't. If you're a pension fund manager, you are worried about climate because it's going to screw your returns because your pension fund is invested heavily in the fossil fuel industry. Now, they are going to have to finish their businesses and there's nowhere to put that money right now. Right. You know, we can go on about divestment, but unless we generate the volume of investments that are secure enough for them to put that money in...
0: They won't divest. They won't do it. They can't. Okay, so we can create an energy system that is a viable alternative for them that's what you're saying
1: exactly exactly you know that's that's the whole thing now now obviously like in my day job at the moment i i work for a listed equities fund so doing exactly that so we've got pension fund money and we invest it in large-scale renewable product uh, projects basically um and i manage those so i have 600 and for about one one point two billion dollars worth of solar projects across the uk and europe that i manage and we're we're in a moment of rapid growth which is really great fun um, so just opening offices in italy and you know trying to build this thing out but in reality large-scale renewables that they're, they're just not going to be enough enough of them because there, there's no point trying to replicate the existing system because the existing system is really wasteful yes. most of the energy we put into it is lost you know, through the windows, there's waste heat. It's lost in inefficient processes.
0: Or it's lost just from the production, the generation to the homes. Yes. You need to generate, yes. we need distributed networks, don't we?
1: Exactly. So, so, you know, yes, large-scale renewables, brilliant, let's do it. Now, it's a great place for pension funds to stick their money. Um, but we need also to work with people to knock the waste out of the system. And that is going to be working with everyone. Okay. You know, that's every home. You think North America, 128 million homes, is it? Um, UK, 27 million homes. China. This is a monstrous project that is going to need, you know, probably five decades and multi-generational work okay. to, to pull it off, basically.
0: Build me a picture of how it looks, though, of kind of what we're heading for. So let me let me ask some questions. I'm assuming local generation. If we want transparency accountability and absolutely uncorruptible ledgering, then we need blockchain of some sort in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, We need some kind of AI, really big AI, to manage the Fred down the road has solar panels, my washing machine needs an amount of his energy and I need to pay him a small fraction of money for that. We need big AI to be able to do that. Yeah. And then we need the actual infrastructure of the The sun doesn't always shine in Britain. It's shining a lot in the Sahara, but we get quite a lot of wind. How do we manage all of that? And maybe we have, I don't know, bioreactors in there somewhere in the middle. So, and storage, we've got to somehow work on the storage because otherwise the nuclear people get to say that nuclear is the only option, which can't be the case. So let's take ourselves five generations down the line. What does the world's energy creation and consumption look like then?
1: It's localized. It's localised, it's local networked grids, you know, with, um, you know, in areas where, you know, so let's say take sub-Saharan Africa, we're never going to run a big grid into sub-Saharan Africa, but we might stick in, and well, other people are already doing it, you stick in a container, you run a small grid around it, you light up 10,000 people okay. just off of one container, you know, maybe it's a couple of hundred thousand pounds worth of gear, you know, that is happening now. Okay. So at the moment, that's a risky project your pension funds don't want to stick their money into that because they're not sure how they're going to get their returns, even though the guy who's doing it can tell them and you could, you could go and invest um, in companies doing that at the moment because the pension funds they're you know, they want to invest a hundred million at a time, not a couple hundred thousand, you know, because they're managing multi-billions. So, you know, essentially what it will look like is that we will, how we are now is loads of external inputs come in to make our lives happen. And, you know, We have no thought for the fact that the gas we're burning has been mined, you know, extracted in Qatar and shipped around the world Mm. as a liquid, turned back into a gas when it got here, and then we're burning it, you know, just without even thinking in a power station where two thirds of the energy is being wasted anyway. It's going straight up the chimney. uh, Yeah, I mean, or in a gas boiler where two thirds of the energy is going out through the window and the roof anyway, you know, so how it looks is that we stop that leakage, is that we you know, basically create a structure where you know, we don't need external inputs in the same way. And maybe we only need external inputs in a sort of balancing mechanism. You know, so maybe there are certain times of the year where we really need that offshore wind farm to basically power our communities. I guess you know, we, we, you know, those of us of a certain age who have lived through the, the internet arriving, and the massive transformation we've seen in in that process. Now, you know, when I was a kid, you went to the library, and that was amazing because mm. you could find out all this different stuff, and you could go and look up how to make a, explosives, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Now, yep. you have the internet, and it's just there. And and the the important transition or tra- transformation that we've all been part of with the internet, you know, it's happening here in this moment. Is that you have become a creator you have got a platform that you would never have had before. Now it's the same with energy. And I think it's going to be the same with many other systems. Um, you know, so again, a- as computers travel through all the different parts of our lives, they will transform how we run things basically. And they are at the early stages of that with energy. Um, but essentially you're completely right. We're going to have, you'll be a generator. Um, you'll use a lot less energy than you use now. Um potentially you'll be able to trade energy with your neighbor um or you may have an ability to just gift your energy or gift the financial benefit from the energy you're not going to use to a project somewhere else you know maybe you know there's a refugee camp that's trying to raise a hundred thousand pounds and you're on holiday you switch it so that it's going to just donate that 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 the value of that energy to that project you know that's the sort of thing mm. i'd like to see um but i think that's you know that's where we're going and, uh, if you think about transport, you know at the moment we have these cars sat around, again highly wasteful, thirty percent efficient. Electrification of transport is it's really sensible, but there's a huge bunch of questions around it. And the more we can share resources around transport, firstly, let's not commute to work every day. We've shown we don't need to um, in the last two years. Let's 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 actually rethink how we operate our businesses and that sort of stuff so we don't have these crazy rush hour rubbish where everyone's but you know your car is sat 97 percent of the time
0: yeah so we just start leasing cars you don't need to own a car anymore if you can just lease it
1: and i mean yes maybe it will be self-driving cars or maybe at first it will just be cars that are on our app uh, that you know there's 10 in your community you know it's two streets away and you can you know log on get it for an hour
0: And it doesn't have to be Uber. It doesn't have to be a company sucking the money out of the community. It can be a community-owned project.
1: It could. It could. Um, I mean, I think there's some brilliant startups out there doing this stuff. So one of my favorites at the moment is um, uh, Sonos Motors. It's in Munich. um, And uh, they have a car that you'll be able to buy in England, I think, later this year called the Scion. Um, And it's an electric car. But it's paneled entirely in solar panels, so it does about 25 miles a day just off the sun. But the 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 thing that I really like about it is that it comes with an app, so you could stick it outside your house and you could make it shareable with your neighbors. You know, just straight off, you'll have an app to be able to coordinate how you share that resource. You know, so if you think about the impact of that, let's say we go to that in. 10 years 20 years time we only have 10 to 20 percent of the cars and actually we need to only have 10 to 20 percent of the cars because we haven't got the resources to build the billion cars you know we haven't got the time and energy to waste on that vanity frankly we've got to be much more pragmatic about this stuff so we only have 10 to 20 percent of the cars now what does that do to the urban space what does that do to our streets it frees them yeah Kids can start playing. You know, suddenly you're gonna have space. Kids can start playing. We could grow food. We could plant an orchard yeah. in central London. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That that is the future. And what does that do for us? So we've got extreme weather. What does trees do to a street? It reduces the temperature. You know, it reduces the extremes. It reduces the extreme cold, it reduces the extreme hot. It also absorbs water. You know, so if we're faced with a time where we're going to have more extreme weather and, and you know, all these multiple impacts, there, there's so many things that could move in the right direction if we get this right. But what we need to do is, is you know, basically talk to people about what's coming.
0: Mm. And, and create visions of how it could be that feel better
1: than how it is now, not a desperate reduction. And firstly, get them on the, you know, what's the first step we could all take? collectively
0: so what is the first step we can all take
1: well i mean i think a a movement globally to mass retrofit our homes and to basically fund other people to have access to basic needs like water and electricity in other communities that don't have it a great rebalancing movement is what's required and uh, i mean it's something i'm dreaming on at the moment brilliant but um i hope to be able to do something at some point in the very soon in the very near future to to start making that a reality but you know i think it's it's a very exciting time because we do have many of the things we need mm. you know like just even a few years ago like the social organizational structures i mean for all the darkness around things like social media and you know those platforms they're immensely powerful and if we could get the right stories being told and if we can get the right agreements and trust between the individuals involved, yes. then I think there's no reason why we couldn't move the dial on these things very, very fast, basically.
0: Yes. Are you familiar with the Consilience Project, Daniel Schmachtenberger and Tristan Harris? No. Tristan Harris is the guy who wrote, sorry, made The Social Dilemma. He used to be in he used to be in Google's ethics division until he realized it wasn't ethical, set up the Center for Humane Technology. Schmachtenberger, I think, is probably the Einstein of our time. He's extremely really right. And they've created this project, which is only going to run for five years. It's a self-limiting project to look at exactly how to do that, um, how to make social media a, a force for for actually bringing people together instead of actually actively dividing them. Yay. So um, I'll send you the podcast that that's linked to. I think you'd find it great, really inspiring. So when you have that dream up and running, we'd mm. really like to invite you back to the podcast to talk about it because everyone who listens to this, part of what we're here for is to give people a sense of agency yeah. and what can they do. So already, anyone who isn't retrofitting their home, they can go out and start at least looking how to do that yeah. and looking how to help their community
1: yeah.
0: do that. And I noticed that Ovesco, which has been going a while now, has something on their website where you, if you think your own community can perhaps be part of that, you can connect with them and they'll help you to build local power in your own community, because we could be doing this now.
1: Yeah, no, totally, totally, totally. I mean, it's, it's wide open. It's wide open. I would say, you know, I think there, I mean, there are a whole bunch of barriers and I think, you know, what's needed is again, I see, I I sort of feel a quite a sense of responsibility in that I've had this amazing journey, you know, and I feel very, very lucky with all the gifts and uh, yes, I've had some hard moments, but I've had an incredible, exciting and fun journey and I've been given lots of knowledge along the way around different things. And so I really see it as a responsibility to try and make it easy for people to join this story in some way, you know, and that's partly why I wrote the book back then, because it just seemed that there's so many examples out there. And, you know, what I what I had the, the privilege of doing was speaking to some of my heroes all over the world and getting their stories, you know, because essentially people see, you know, see these movements that happen as great amazing things and those people must be incredible but they're just like you and me frankly the people. most of the time they just happen to decide to give it a go and were successful you know and they failed along the way and you know but again it comes back to that thing of you know we need to paint the picture so that people can see themselves in the story yeah. at the moment climate's just like it's just this great scary thing and, you know, you're just waiting for your house to be flooded, and, you know, and therefore be, to be famines. And, you know, it's because we've got great at uh, telling apocalyptic stories about our society. You know, and again, I think that's one of that's one of, um, you know, the things I think we've sort of got. Yes. We've got this sort of myopic view. I think it was um, that amazing um, Native American uh, woman, Pat McCabe, um, who said, you know, this story that we're the destroyers of nature. It's it's new. Mm. It's new. It's it's what possibly five hundred years old. Maybe it's two thousand years old. Maybe it's you know maybe yeah. it's coming with Christianity in some way. But it's certainly been most powerful through the Industrial Revolution. You know, and yes, we have been, but that isn't the only story humanity's walked with. You know, there's there's been yeah. millennia where humanity have walked with the story that we are, you know, we're tending the garden, that we're co-creators of this amazing abundance, you know, and actually I think the fundamental thing is people need to realise that that story still is still there and we just need to react to it. Yes.
0: And you've worked with people for whom it's still alive. That's the thing. There are still people on the planet today who work with. Yes. We are part of this, not set against it. So, and... Exactly what Accidental Gods is for is to help people re that that connection. So we're heading towards the end. I have one avenue that I'd like to go down, which it might be too much of a rabbit hole, but let's try. We were talking about the idea that refugee camps could become mm. places to show the best of humanity. We could create the, the kind of circular economic synergistic utopias that we believe are possible. Have you, in all the thinking that you've done, thought through how we could help them to create the political systems to run those that wouldn't simply end up being this is a place where the women are raped whenever they try and go and get water, which is what happens in refugee camps at the moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I should say I'm completely naive when it comes to the reality of refugee camps and I have no direct experience of that. So I'm not sure I'm qualified to speak about it. And there are many others who would be, but what I can say is that I can see there's an emerging movement around decentralized organization. And I think that that will be very much part of the story um, is that, you know, essentially democracy in its current form, it's its not effective, is it? You know, um, you vote once <laughs> every sure four years and you vote between two colours and basically they're pastiche, really. And the issues that you really care about, you don't get a say on. You know, whereas if you go, if you start looking at the decentralised organisational model, using the technology we have, if, you can, if you've got uh, trust tokens in there so that you, you know, can track who's having what impact where and who's saying you know what I mean that you can basically use that as an organizational um, system to determine what we want to do as a collective so I'm already seeing um, those sorts of things emerging so again that the currency seeds that I mentioned earlier has one of those behind it it has a constitution behind it which has been developed by all the people who are involved with it and has been voted on by all those people
0: I need to talk to someone from seeds don't I yeah
1: I can get, yeah, you know, I'll get, I'll get to one of those guys to come and talk to you. But that would be
0: really good.
1: You know, that to me, and again, it's an attempt. You know, again, I don't, I don't think, I feel like we're going to have to invent something new here in some way. Mm. And people are having a go at that. And whilst there's bound to be a load of failures and things don't work, I think it's the time for that. It's the time for thinking differently and just trying stuff. You know, because we've got nothing to lose at this point. We've got everything to gain by every little breakthrough we make yeah. you know in terms of relating to each other in a in, in a more effective way making decisions in a more holistic and inclusive way you know and then delivering this transformation that we so desperately need you know that's it's to me there's there's so much opportunity you know it's like it's it's almost like the world war and the industrial revolution and the 80s boom, all wrapped up in one, but there's a yeah. purpose behind it, and it's called yeah. survival. And it's called preserving the wonder and beauty of this planet, you know, and that's the mission of it, you know, and actually reaching this state of connection that we can be proud of, you know. So that's, I think it's unfolding, Manda.
0: <laughs> that is so beautiful and so inspiring and feels like a really good place to end, unless there was anything else that you wanted to say.
1: No, it's been lovely to, lovely to, uh, Go right out there with you and talk it all through because it's you know it, it's it's what gets me out of bed every morning and I do feel super inspired by the opportunity of the moment and I, I feel like you know I, I know a lot of people feel a lot of despair mm. um, and I you know I walk with depression for many years but I feel the most hopeful and most excited that I've ever felt you know so it's good to share that with people. Fantastic!
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to the Accidental Gods podcast. It's been such an inspiring episode thank you oh thanks for having me and that's it for another week enormous thanks to howard for the depth and heart and integrity and intelligence of all that he has done and is doing he's an extraordinary example of the change that one person can make when they realize what needs to be done and find ways to do it and last week we said that if you do one thing change how you find your food This week, if you do one thing and you haven't already done it, change where you get your power from. Shift to one of the renewable energy providers. And if you can, shift to one who actually makes the energy rather than one that buys it and packages it on. And then if you have the bandwidth, if you have the means, if you have the time and the energy and the contacts, see what you can do to create community energy production in your local area. Because the more that we can shift to a distributed local network rather than the centralised network we have now the faster we move to renewable, genuinely regenerative energy production. And that's it for now. Enormous thanks to Caro C for the music at the head and foot and for the sound production. Thanks to Faith Tilleray for the website and the tech and thanks to you for listening. If you want to know more If you want to find the show notes and other podcasts and our membership program, then please go to accidentalgods.life. And on the events page, we have two events coming up in September. On the 5th, at 5 o'clock, we're having a book club with Eji Temel-Kuran, who is with us in podcast 74. Author of Together and of How to Lose a Country, Eji is one of the sparkiest, most fun people we have ever interviewed and she'll be coming to talk to any of you who come along to ask the questions that you've always wanted to ask of an internationally celebrated author. It's free, you just need to register on the website at the events page at accidentalgods.life, so do come along. And then two weeks later, on the 19th, we're having one of our Accidental Gods gatherings. Six o'clock to nine o'clock UK time, which is currently British summertime, we're exploring a mind as deep as the sky this is 3 hours of diving deep into the work that we've been doing since we began the ways of finding authenticity and integrity the ways of connecting to the more than human world such that we can ask the question what do you want of me and hear the answer in ways that feel real to us and all of that comes back to how we use our thinking space the places that we have access to The ways that we can mould our thoughts, to mould how we feel, to mould who we are in the world, what we do and how we be in the sense of interbeing. So whether you've been working with us from the beginning or haven't worked with us at all and want to find out what it's like, do come along. It's a Zoom call. You don't have to go anywhere. You just have to find a place to sit and to be in reasonable quiet. And that is it for now. See you next week. Thank you, and goodbye.